Some call me Steve, Dad, Husband or Friend. Others might call me Boss, Coach or Mentor. Today you can call me the Leadership Hacker. Thanks for listening in, I really appreciate it. My job as the Leadership Hacker is to hack into the minds, experiences, habits and learning of great leaders, C-suite executives, authors and development experts so that I can assist you developing your understanding and awareness of leadership. I'm Steve Rush and I'm your host today. I'm the author of Leadership Cake. I'm a transformation consultant and leadership coach and can't wait to start sharing all things leadership with you. Today's special guest is Jessica Katz. She's a trainer, a mentor and an agile coach through her firm, Liberated Elephant. Before we get a chance to speak with Jessica, it's the Leadership Hacker News. There's a change theme in today's news, so we're going to focus on a report created by Bond Capital, a Silicon Valley VC firm whose portfolio includes Slack and Uber. The recent report which briefed its investors has said that the global pandemic has had a similar devastating impact to Silicon Valley as the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. So why does that matter to the rest of the world? Well, Bond's best-known partner, Mary Meeker, is a former bank analyst and renowned for her annual internet trends report, which many investors and entrepreneurs use as a touchstone for where tech is and where it's going. And her 28-page report calls out some really interesting themes that I thought I'd share with you. So here's the top five themes that I've pulled out of the report. Number one is data-driven forward planning. The biggest market cap growers, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Google, and Facebook, all possess short and long-term business plans centered around data. And their data plans include execution, iteration, engineering, and science. The report goes on to say, amidst the current pandemic, expect these business plans to be more widely focused with more scientists, engineers, domain experts serving as board members and non-executive directors with much stronger and more relevant voices. Number two, the continuation of remote working environments. With the coronavirus forcing companies to adapt to remote working environments to much greater degrees than they were used to, many companies may find for certain positions, remote working is just fine, if not more efficient for them. CEOs and boardrooms will need to reflect on their companies and employees and ask management to recommend their evaluation of what their teams work best with together in person and what also needs to be effective to ensure maximum efficiency if they continue to work remotely. Number three. Interestingly, Mika's findings from an informal survey asking companies about remote work found that those who focus on effective written communication and documentation based off the Amazon way had the best and most efficient transitions to remote work. This form of collaboration can result in much more discerning and productive input and, of course, decision making. Number four, and not surprising, accelerating digital transformation. Businesses that are doing the best and will make it through this pandemic with less difficulties and problems will be the companies who had already begun the offline to online transition. The current pandemic has accelerated these trends which will place more emphasis and focus on a company's technological presence with its worker consumers. As mentioned by Mika, this includes the integration of cloud-based business functions, persistently demanded products, accessible and maneuverable online presence efficient delivery methods with limited contact and digitally efficient products with a social media presence. And number five is on-demand business growth models. 
with the change in the way that we as consumers and workers have adapted. The demand on companies such as Uber, Airbnb are struggling due to social distancing and staying at home orders. On the other hand, on-demand services such as Instacart or DoorDash or any other door delivery service provider has experienced large spikes in demand and are eagerly hiring new labour. The on-demand economy has grown across the globe over the last few years. In Mika's report, she calls out that in 2018 there were 56 million estimated on-demand customers compared to 25 million in 2016. The Bureau of Labour Statistics also concluded that on-demand services has around 156 million workers, and that's in the US alone, as of the middle of 2020. Mika believes that the on-demand and door-to-door delivery service may be gaining a permanent market share in these unusual times due to the clear benefits to consumers and the opportunity of displaced workers to receive work, income and schedule flexibility around their personal schedules. The report goes on to say that Instacart is reportedly hiring 250,000 workers now, which is more than Walmart and A3 combined. So I guess the leadership lesson here is, as leaders and as business folk, are we being really thoughtful to the trends that are emerging in the future that are impacting on not just what's happening now, but how our business might need to adapt and change in the future? My final reflections are for you to consider what are the top five things that are trending in your business area that could impact on you, your colleagues and your business in the future. That's been the Leadership Hacking News. Like always, if you have any information, stories, nudge your way and contact us through social media. Jessica Katz is a special guest on today's show. She's the founder and owner of Liberated Elephant. She's an agile coach and mentor where she really makes the elephant in the room work for you. Jessica, welcome to the Leadership Hacker podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me on today. It's our pleasure. So before we kind of get into a little bit about what you do now, just give us a little bit of a a tour, if you like, of your career so far and where it's taken you. Sure. So um, my career so far, well, I started in an administrative role, really, and um, recognized that if I was going to make the kind of money I wanted to make to support my family, I needed something different. Went back to school and ended up in project management. And from project management, um, moved over into Scrum, which is a uh, type of agile process, and then into agile coaching. And now into my own business, which is the really abbreviated version of my history. <laughs> um, <laughs> what was it specifically for you that says, right, okay, I've got these foundations of project management. You've pivoted into the world of Scrum and Agile, which is perhaps a precursor, isn't it, for managing change in a more rapid and changing environment. But what was it specifically that said, right, I'm now going to run my own business and I'm going to leave behind corporate America? Yeah, so I got passed over for a promotion and um, it caused me to introspect and realize that my personal values and desire for the way I thought business should be were out of alignment with the company I was with. And um, I started my business there and I worked as an employee there and at other places before I was really able to cut the wires and move into my own thing and have it just be my thing. You know, the getting passed over for promotion, I thought I was ready for, that I thought I was capable of, that I thought I was the right person for, and realizing rather suddenly that the organization was going a very different direction than I thought was healthy or good for 
the people that work there, um, caused me to say, you know, maybe I should be making this kind of change in the world and not just in the one place I work. And so that's really what kicked off my business. I wanted to start moving the culture of business elsewhere. Got it. By the way, I think your company name is amazing. So Liberated Elephant, it just instantaneously puts most people that have worked in any business environment straight in that room where there is that uncomfortable elephant awaiting to be attacked. How did you come up with the name or is it just blatantly obvious? Well, the it took a little work to come up with the name because lots of people have uh, business names with elephants. So I had to <laughs> I had to do a little digging to find the right name. But for me, I have um, one of my superpowers is that I'm able to identify chinks in the armor. And when I work for other people, when I'm in an, an employee position, then um, I'm what they call an internal predator. And I look for chinks in the armor and I identify weaknesses in the processes or breakdowns in communication. And I bring those to light and I'm ready to work through them with whomever I've bring, brought them to, right? I'm, I'm not throwing them at people going, now you solve it, right? I want to solve it with them. And um, those kinds of things, breakdowns in communication, ineffective processes, processes we've put in place to deal with personality instead of actually dealing with the personality, um, those are the kinds of elephants you see regularly creating dysfunction in our organization. Now, the whole principle of managing change and leading change has really morphed over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And for those that are not familiar with Agile, there's a number of different variants and variations of Scrum, Kanban, and others. So for those that are not familiar, just maybe give us a summary as to how you might describe somebody that you bumped into who has no idea about leading and managing change, what Agile really is. Sure. So um, Agile is based in four values, individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, and responding to change over following a plan. Those four values are the basis. Now, Agile as a whole is an umbrella term that encompasses many ways that we deliver on those four values. Scrum is one of them, Kanban is another, Lean, XP, even Six Sigma, they all fall under that Agile umbrella. But Agile at its core is just four values and 12 principles. It doesn't have any roles, it doesn't have any instructions on how to do it. It is, it is just a value-based system. What we hear a lot in the, or in the world is, oh, well, I'm Scrum, so I must be Agile. And those two things can not, they don't have to be the same. Right. Um, you can be Scrum and not actually be living the values. You can be Agile and not be doing Scrum. So <laughs> there's, um, you know, they can be separate. So, uh, you know, one thing that I coach people towards in change, really change management is about getting from where you are to where you want to be. And the way you move an organization from where you are to where you want to be is you shift the mindsets and beliefs so that the behaviors follow. And often when people implement Scrum, they implement the process and then, oh, we forgot. We also need to switch people's minds. Right. And um, you actually need to start with the mindset and then move into the rest. And that's a big lift for a lot of organizations. Well, we want to see results. What's the, what are the things we're doing to show that we're doing this change? And the real shift happens in small moments and in the individual minds of everybody in your company. So when it comes to coaching other project leaders and managers around Agile, mm -hmm. what would you say has been maybe the one or two consistent themes that keep presenting themselves for you that our listeners could learn from? Sure. So I would say the, so the first big one is that if leadership isn't bought in, really thinks the idea of being, having an Agile mindset is valuable, 
then you won't succeed. The reality is that transformation in organizations takes every individual to transform, or at least the majority of the information of the people in the organization to transform. And it's weighted towards leadership because the, the individual contributors in your system will emulate leadership. They copy what they see because that's the path to promotion. So, um, right. right. So what you really want to do is get your leaders bought in. So when they bring me in as a coach, if I'm coaching an organization towards that change, I'm going to spend a lot of time with leadership. It doesn't mean the teams and the individual contributors don't need coaching, but if they bring me in as an enterprise coach, I'm going to bring in a couple of agile team level coaches to handle the, the, you know, the individual contributors and getting them moving in the right way. So we attack it from two fronts. We get the leadership moved and we get the individual contributors moved. The second problem that shows up is the middle manager. The middle manager gets stuck. They're what in agile we call the frozen middle. If you shift the top and you shift the bottom, the manager has both foundational pieces sort of shaken underneath them. And they have to figure out who they become in the new way, right? If you move both of those things, it's the who moved my cheese concept, right? Uh, oh, suddenly my cheese isn't where it used to be. The way I get measured, the way I get promoted, the way I promote others, the way I measure others all has to shift with that. And it can be very frightening for managers. Yeah, sure. I'm not telling people what to do anymore. I'm letting them figure it out. So how to, and, and their job becomes connecting individual contributors to the larger business vision. And that's not a skill set we're taught before we become managers. So it can be quite, yeah, it can be quite frightening yeah. for the middle management set. And when you start to think about leading change, what do you think the reason is that so many leaders of change initiatives, change programs and organizations often put that whole process before mindset? What do you think generally causes that? It's easier. Yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a path of least resistance to say, okay, use this tool and follow this process and then we'll be agile is easier than saying, let me spend the time to convince the population that this is a good idea and really sit with them as they work through the struggle of shifting mindset so that they can be better, right? It's slow. It often, even just initiating a new process, never mind shifting a mindset, it actually slows down productivity for a little while with the long-term gain of increased productivity. And public organizations, you're not driven towards long-term gain. You're driven towards short-term gain because that's what moves the stock market and makes your board happy. So, so there's a bunch of cognitive dissonance that shows up and, yeah. and you know, sort of conflicts of, of interest that appear. And of course, if you have to manage mindsets of others, you've also got to manage the mindset of yours. And if your mindset is perhaps less open, less growth orientated, then you're less likely to want to be experimental and to do new things and test new ways of working, right? Yeah, absolutely. It takes a lot of introspection and a lot of work to look at yourself. Yeah. Um, and the curiosity of self and curiosity of others is probably one of the biggest leadership skills. Yeah. If you can get curious about yourself and where you might be wrong, and you can look at others and get curious about where they're coming from and their perspectives, you get a much, much richer picture. It becomes collaborative instead of directive. And everybody gets to be in the work together instead of responding and being reactive to everything else going on around them. The first time I got involved in Agile was a number of years ago. And I had this experience where I'd kind of gathered my team together. We were all on point. We all felt engaged with the new ways of working. We went to our executive team who all gave us the 
verbal communication. They said, yes, we're all agreed and we're all aligned. But actually, they still wanted the good old Gantt charts and they still wanted the regular milestones and check-ins and steer codes that came with good old-fashioned waterfall projects. How do you deal with that scenario? Okay, this is a classic Agile coach response. It depends. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it, it depends a lot on the context. So let's say they want those things because it's a division that's making the shift and their leaders aren't making the shift. So they still need the same reporting right. to fit into the rest of the organization. So sometimes that's the situation and a well-placed project manager can be very good at the translation between what we're doing in an agile way to what we, the way we used to do things and the way we need to communicate to the rest of the organization. So that can be a really beneficial asset to that kind of situation. Another thing that I found is that there's not a good focus when they're receiving metrics, there's not a good focus on what they're going to do with that metric. So a lot of times you can sit, you can look at somebody and go, okay, I hear that you want this Gantt chart. What problem are you trying to solve by having this Gantt chart? And if problem and the Gantt chart don't actually match, right? So maybe the problem is, um, well, I want to know what value we're delivering to the customer. Well, the Gantt chart doesn't tell you what value we're delivering. It tells you when we're delivering things, but value is usually hidden inside sure. initiatives or features or user stories, right? And, and often organizations are very bad at communicating value. They're very good at communicating output. How many, you know, how many widgets did we make? Easy communication. How many, what impact did those widgets have on our customer base and on our um, interactions with the world? that's a much harder lift. And so you sort of leave that status quo going for a while and you start to introduce other ideas and build on that till they're satisfied that they're getting the answers they need to answer the question. And then you let go of the initial Gantt chart type style, right? Um, it's just like implementing a new system. You yeah. do a little A-B testing, right? Here's the, here's the thing you used to get. Here's the thing we're gonna give you now. Which one of these better answers your question? And once they're satisfied that the new information answers their question, well, you can let go of the old information. I wrote an article about four or five years ago when I was doing exactly this kind of transitioning behaviors around how people were leading change. And I coined the phrase of water agile fall, you know, where we were kind of half agile, half waterfall. And it just takes a bit of careful consideration, education and communication to those people, doesn't it? Yeah. Just around how you're going to move and what can you let go of and what do you need to hold and what reporting needs to go where. But do you ever find yourself now in the world of Agile saying to your coachees, stop right there, that's just a good old traditional waterfall project, you don't need Agile? Well, you know, I haven't run across one of them in recent years, but I do, when I teach about Agile, I do make it very clear that there are opportunities for waterfall that make good sense. Yeah. A waterfall project works when you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and who's going to do it. Definitely so. If you know the answer to those three questions with real, like real definity, like you really know, not we guessed about our requirements and we think it's going to be this, but like really know installing a new server, updating firmware on a server, those kinds of things maybe don't need Agile. Mm. Right. Yeah. 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 And those can work in a waterfall way because you know what you need to do and you know how you're going to do it. And you probably have the same team that always does that kind of work. So you have all of the pieces in play. Agile really is meant for complex projects, things where you don't know what you don't know how. And the, the who is wobbly. And when I say the who is wobbly, I mean, the team is changing regularly or um, they're a brand new team together or 
you know, the team has to shift as the project shifts. That's a, that makes the, the who quadrant unknown as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So we're really like agile's best for complexity and when it's simple, let it be simple. Waterfall's okay. However, I would recommend that you make it small in both cases. Yeah. Yeah. That if you do a waterfall project, that's going to take you a year to implement. It's way too big. You want to do a really small waterfall project, not a big, gigantic thing, because we're usually wrong about our estimates, almost always wrong about our estimate. Yeah. The cone of uncertainty will tell you you're 0.25 to four times wrong on your estimate. So if you estimate something's going to take a month, it could take you a week or it could take you four months. But if you estimate something's going to be a year, it could take you a quarter or it could take you four years. And that the cost associated with that kind of risk is much higher. So the smaller you can make it, the better chance you have. Risk is also a really interesting point, isn't it? That keeps coming up in my change world. When I start introducing the whole hypothesis of experiments and testing and using some of the agile techniques to start helping move change forward faster and release value earlier, one of the things that keeps coming back is, oh, but surely this is much riskier than a good old traditional waterfall project how would you respond if you were positioned with that yeah it only feels like waterfall is less risky because it feels falsely like it's more sure right right when we do a waterfall project we're certain we've built all the requirements we know everything but the reality is as soon as it hits the market we've lost our surety now we're getting feedback from our customer base and the market could be internal to the organization or external as soon as it hits the market you start getting feedback and if you can't be responsive to that, if you spent a year building a project and now it hits the market and you find out the market doesn't like it, you've lost a year's worth of money. Where if you deliver for a couple of weeks and you, the market starts responding and you have an opportunity to shift your requirements so that it better suits the market, in a year's time, if it takes that long, in a year's time, you're much more likely to have satisfied your customer. And so, you know, Usually when you build these big waterfall projects, you, you pull like one or two people from the customer base. You have a little advocacy group. You're not really getting the full breadth of your customers. And your customers are really what make the return on investment possible. And managed well, Agile will de-risk your project, yes. de-risk your change. Yes. Absolutely. And I'm delighted to hear that. And it's absolutely something I experience quite a lot. So awesome. You mentioned a little earlier the frozen middle of yeah. the middle manager. This is taking you down a path yourself now where you're putting pen to paper and writing a book. So we're naturally going to have you back on the show when the book's up and running to tell us a little bit about that. But from your research about that kind of frozen middle, you kind of almost identified, haven't you, that there are three roles that typically present themselves in organizations where that kind of gets stuck. Tell us a little bit about what you found. Sure. So if you're a manager, you wear three hats. One is the hat of being an employee, right? I'm an employee. I'm coming here to do a job, to get pay, to grow myself, right? So that's a one role. The next role is one of advocate, where you're advocating for the people that report to you. You're trying to create an environment that makes it possible for them to deliver, give them opportunities to grow, remove blockers so they can be successful. And then the other hat you're wearing is enforcer. And this is the person who manages the status quo of the organization. Generally speaking, organizations want to stay at status quo. Uh, the, the pool will always be back to status quo. And the middle manager is the one making sure that continues um, down that path. 
And in doing so, if they keep with the status quo and they present status quo and they lead like they're part of the status quo, then they're more likely to get promoted and have raises and be recognized for their work. So there's a benefit to them in being an enforcer financially. And the other side of that hat is if you're advocating for the change that's occurring in your teams and for your team, particularly if the team culture and the leadership culture is different, if you're advocating for them, then you look like you're not part of leadership and it will hurt your chances for promotion and raise because everybody wants to hire people and promote people that look and feel like them. And I'm not necessarily here talking about like physical attributes here. I'm talking about the, you know, the state of being. If you approach work the same way as the leaders approach work, they're more likely to recognize you as a good leader than if you approach work differently. Yeah. yeah. You need that kind of agent provocateur, that drummer, the change meister, call it whatever you will, but you need that to push against the status quo. How do you therefore then encourage that middle manager to manage their political corporate self while still doing that effectively? Very carefully. The first thing I recommend is that if they have a change that they think is worthwhile in the system, that they're that in the position of middle management, you don't actually have a lot of power. You have more power than the people that report to you, but in the organization writ large, you don't have a lot. So my recommendation then is to find a mentor in the system who's in leadership, who's known for implementing change and have them help you shepherd that idea through the system because you have to move change through the system that is. It's like, um, I mean, we see it all the time in the United States, the way laws are made, right? You have an idea and you have to wait until there's enough um, social pressure behind it before laws start yeah. to happen. It's the same kind of thing that needs to happen inside an organization. Yeah. You need to build social pressure behind your ideas. And if you can get a mentor who's known for implementing change into your system that's already in, in a high leadership position, you can leverage them to help you think it through and get it through in a way that is healthy and um, healthy for you as a, a manager and then also healthy for the organization. So it's not jarring to the status quo. And this is also where Agile can help too, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. by running some experiments and some hypotheses, you can gather some evidence mm -hmm. that helps the energy behind the change you want to plan or desire, right? That's right. Uh, the big word that I heard you use there is, hypo well, the big words, hypothesis and experiment. A hypothesis looks like this. Um, I believe or we believe by implementing this change, we will see these results. We'll know we're right or we'll know we're wrong when this data is evident. And then try it a little. Um, in fact, when I do agile transformations, I don't recommend they hit, they change the entire company all at once. Yeah. I recommend that they set up a team or two fully empowered to make all the changes they need mm -hmm. and test it in their system first and find out what blockers show up so that you can remove some of those blockers as you it, spread it further. So you're not throwing your entire company into chaos, right? You're putting a company or two or a team or two into uh, chaos and deep learning for your organization. And I suppose that's really the trick around hypotheses and experiments is that you're looking for learning. Do you know that you're right? Is the change that you want to implement in the system a good one? Well, we don't know. So test it. Find a way to test it. Yeah. Small. Test it small. Yeah. And if you get these behaviors right as middle managers, these middle managers will progress because they'll have the evidence to suggest that what they want to do to lead the organization is right. Yeah. And then you create that change culture at the top of the shop through kind of just natural growth and natural progression, I suspect. Mm -hmm. Essentially, if you can get a groundswell, 
the company has no choice but to move. Yeah. Right. But you probably need a, you know, a one in five for every leader that is resistant to the change. You need at least, you know, five or more people that are into the idea of the change. Got it. Because of that weighting towards leadership. So this part of the show is where we now start to turn the leadership lens on you. So I'm going to ask you a few questions now just to hack into your great leadership mind. So the first kind of thing I'd like to explore with you is your top three leadership hacks. Okay. So the one, the first thing I want to talk about is spend 15 minutes every day planning your day. It's, it feels counterintuitive. Well, that's 15 minutes. I'm not working then. Right. But the 15 minutes is used as a little bit of self-care. It lets you look at the day and decide what you need to prioritize on in that day to be effective. Even better if you can do like 30 minutes on Monday or Sunday. So you know going into the week what to expect. Now those 15 minutes could be in the morning if you're an early bird or in the evening if you're a night owl for the next day. What I have found is that if I do it in the morning, it sort of sets me up for the whole day and I'm much more effective and the right things get done. And if I do it in the evening, it makes it easier to sleep because I'm not worried about what's coming up the next day. Um, so that 15 minutes every day is a little bit of slowing down to speed up, which is a really common agile trend, incidentally, that you want to slow down to speed up. Um, it has long-term impacts instead of short-term impacts. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my first one. Um, my second one is don't assume you're right just because you have a specific role. So if you're, for example, I'm an agile coach, I'm not going to come in. If so, I'm going to come into an organization and I want to come from deep curiosity. I can say things like, well, common practice in the agile community is X. And somebody could say, well, I don't think that common practice will work for here. And I'll go, okay, well, let's have a discussion about what the common practice is trying to solve, what problem you're trying to solve. And find a solution that better suits your needs. In a position of leadership, you need to do the same thing. I have an idea about how to solve this problem, but I want to leave the room open for other people's ideas. And sometimes that means in environments that have a high retribution culture, sometimes that means not saying anything until other people have spoken. Um, but in a low retribution culture where it's easy to trade ideas back and forth and up and down the hierarchy, then um, just leaving that open door and staying curious to what other people have to say would be my second suggestion. Cool. And yeah. And my third suggestion is lift others up. This is the rising tides, lift all ships kind of circumstance. In traditional hierarchical organizations, it's very common for leaders to put themselves forward and um, try and look good and doing things, always trying to hoard and do things so that they continue to promote. Well, one, you're going to burn out at some point. And two, it doesn't give your, the people you're supporting the people that report to you. It doesn't give them room to grow. So lift them up and help them shine. And you will shine as a result of it. It is another one of those, it feels counterintuitive to do, but it's the right way to sort of scale yourself. Love it. Often though, the most important things that we need to train ourselves to do differently feel counterintuitive. And I love the whole, you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes a day, getting yourself in order, because ultimately you called it out. This is not about time management. Time management is kind of baloney, right? It doesn't exist. But what does exist is prioritization. Love those hacks. The next part of the show, our listeners have become affectionately accustomed to hearing stories from our guests where they've had some adversity, things have maybe screwed up in the past. We call it hack to attack. But the key thing here is that we've learned from it and it's now a force of good in our life and our work. What would be your hack to attack, Jessica? So I have. 
I have been passed over for promotions. I have received bad performance reviews. I have been fired. All of those things have happened in my history. And I, I was contemplating them. And I was like, what's the common theme really that came out for me in those, those, in those things? And the common theme is that I'm a really fast mover and a fast thinker. And it is worth it for me to slow down and observe and listen to the systems I'm in to make sure I don't uh, misstep or inadvertently cause harm where no harm needed to be. It does require a sort of deep self-management yeah. <laughs> for me. So, um, you know, um, emotional intelligence is, um, you know, the factors of self-awareness, self-management, others' awareness, and others' management. I would say the two that I was weak on was others' awareness and self-management. Um, really understanding the impact of my words and actions and staying around to clean it up. If I made a mistake, cleaning it. Yeah. Um, if given the opportunity, right? Because if you do harm, the other person has to be willing to have you clean it. Definitely. So, so that is, that's kind of where my big learning has come in. And thank you for being so candid. There'll be many people listening to this who suffer with a similar kind of philosophy. And it's just that kind of being self-aware and organized that can make a massive difference so awesome stuff the very last thing that we'd like to do is to give you a chance to have a bit of time travel now so you get to bump into jessica when she was 21 and you get to give us some advice what's your advice going to be well just to set the stage for for your listeners when i was 21 i hadn't yet figured out what i was going to do with myself i chose not to go to college right away and i was a single mom and um, I was about a year out from moving to Nashville where I had no support system. And if I had a chance to do it over or had a chance to go back and talk to myself, one of the things I would say is take a breath and look at your support system. <laughs> How are you going to have that support, that kind of support, right. no matter where you go? And a lot of what that takes is asking for help, even when you think you don't need it. It's still a hard thing for me to do to ask for help. I'm better about it than I used to be. But man, if I could have gotten a hold of 21-year-old me and been willing to lean into that vulnerability, it could have been a, a huge shift in my life earlier. If only we had time travel, right? That's right. <laughs> but then the world would be all different and we wouldn't have had the learning experiences we've had along the way either. That's true. That's true. So what's next for you, Jessica? What's next for me? So I am... Doing so, I am my primary client is a training organization. I do some subcontract training through them, so I do have some public classes available. If anyone's interested, they can go to my website to find out find future classes. And I need to, you know, buckle down and work on that book. I have uh, I've been a bit stuck, but this conversation today may have gotten me unstuck. So I just want to say thank you for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. We can unliberate your liberated elephant That's right, right now. That's right. <laughs> Get my elephant out of the room right now. <laughs> awesome. And I know that when you've concluded your book, we'll get you back on the show. We'll talk about some of the experiences in there as well. Um, and we'll make sure we help our listeners connect with you. In the meantime, what's the best place for them to, we can send them to your website. Um, yep. And that's liberatedelephant.com. Mm -hmm. And if they want to follow me on LinkedIn, uh, I do a bunch of posting there and it usually cross posts to Twitter so they can follow me on Twitter. On Twitter, I'm at Elephant Tamer. I love that. And <laughs> on <laughs> um, and on LinkedIn, you can find me as Jessica Cat. Brilliant. We'll make sure all of those links to your websites, Twitter, and LinkedIn are in our show notes as well. 
wonderful. Thank you so much. Jessica, listen, it's been absolutely amazing chatting to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed the whole exploration of Agile and change and how you coach that through with your clients. And just wanted to say, wish you every success with conclusion of your book and most importantly, uh, whatever you do next. And thanks for being part of our tribe on the Leadership Hacker podcast. Great. Thank you so much. Stay, um, stay healthy. Thank you, Jessica. I genuinely want to say a heartfelt thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in too. We do this in the service of helping others and spreading the word of leadership. Without you listening in, there would be no show. So please subscribe now if you haven't done so already. Share this podcast with your communities and network and help us develop a community and a tribe of leadership hackers. And finally, if you'd like me to work with your senior team, your leadership community, keynote an event, or you would like to sponsor an episode, please connect with us via our social media. And you can do that by following and liking our pages on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is at Leadership Hacker. Instagram, you can find us there at the underscore leadership underscore hacker. And at YouTube, we're just Leadership Hacker. So that's me signing off. I'm Steve Rush, and I've been the Leadership Hacker.